And welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers. Today we have the man, the myth, the legend, the person who has turned the media industry on his head and continues to survive, thrive, and win. Jake Sherman, how are you feeling today? I'm all right, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Where are you? It looks like you're in a quarter or something. I am in, I'll tell you where I am. I am in a, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. I am in a phone booth in uh, the House Periodical Press Gallery in the Capitol. They still have phone booths in the Capitol? Yeah, they have privacy booths because these are communal work areas. Um, although Punchbowl News, uh, the only other reporters in here are reporters that work for Punchbowl News. But um, yeah, this is where I uh, this is this is where I squat during the day. <laughs> I love it. So my show is kind of unique because we ask everybody the same first question, and so we start each show by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. So talk about each of your career stops since finishing Columbia. And talk about your work now with Punchball. Yeah, so I um, I had a pretty was pretty traditional at the time. I went to George Washington University undergrad, Columbia for grad school, did internships. So I interned at um, the Journal News in White Plains, New York. I interned at the Minneapolis Star Tribune in D.C., which doesn't exist in D.C. anymore, I don't believe. Uh, I interned at Newsweek, and after Columbia, I went to uh, the Wall Street Journal in D.C. But then I Funny, it was right after Rupert Murdoch bought the Wall Street Journal in 2009, and I had an offer to move to Minnesota to cover the State House for the Star Tribune, and then I had an offer from a small upstart called Politico, which was like 30 people, big, you know, 30 people at that time, uh, the entire staff, and the Star Tribune offered me $32,000. Politico offered me $30,000 in Washington. So I was like, you know, I, I believe in Jim Vandehye. So I, I went to, um, I went to Politico and I spent 11 years there, which seems like an eternity. So from 2009 to the end of 2020, uh, the last four years, I wrote playbook after Mike Allen left to start Axios. And I, um, at that point, I, me and my playbook co-author at the time, Anna Palmer, were talking at the end of 2020. And we were like, we should go and do this on our own, start a company on our own. And, um, you know, COVID was lonely end of 2020. We hadn't, you know, we had barely seen each other. We, we saw each other all the time. We talked every day, multiple times a day. And so we did that. We convinced John Bresnahan, one of our um, a colleagues at Politico to come along. We raised a million dollars only because we just were like, we don't, you were starting a company. We have no idea how much money we'll need. And, um, we raised a million dollars, mostly from friends and family, but also from uh, uh, one media investor. And then January 3rd, 2021 was our first uh, edition. January 6th, 2021, that happened. We're in the Capitol every single day. So we were here for that. And then it's been off to the races. So we've never raised any more money. We went from four and now we're about 23, three years in. And um yeah, we've been we've been very blessed. We've been profitable since the beginning, and we've our bet was very simple. Like people care about Congress, even if they hate Congress, and there's a lot of industries that care about Congress. So we're going to focus on Congress and nothing else, and on the leadership and nothing else. And that's been our bet all along, and we're continuing to make that bet kind of daily. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute, because I mean, what went into the decision to make a career? I mean, you you just didn't you you. Not only made a career, but a whole business model after 
out of just covering Congress? I mean, what what makes that unique among political journalism, you think? So I think a few, I think it's journalism broadly, but never, let me start with this. I love Congress. I, I'm like one of the, one of the Congress obsessives. I, I, my entire world is the, you know, the leadership of Congress and the kind of world that orbits around that. So whether it's Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, um, Hakeem Jeffries, now Mike Johnson before Kevin McCarthy, um, they are kind of the world that I focus the most on. And so much happens, so many decisions are made among those leaders and the people that kind of are around those leaders that number one is I would I would say incredibly important to a lot of people in DC and around the country. Um but I think this is just my like back of the napkin view. I don't spend a ton of time thinking about reinventing journalism broadly, but I do think a lot about I, I have been in a lot of places where people get distracted by other things and uh growing their business in ways that don't make sense. So um we feel like we, um, like there won't, this is, these are famous last words. Uh, so I don't want to, I'll say this now, and then you can play this back to me in like 2028 when I do this, but like, there will not be a punchbowl new sports as much as I'd like to have a punchbowl news college. But basketball. There, there, definitely, there definitely will be a punchbowl. <laughs> <new sports. laughs> I don't and think it, so. The next raise you go, the next raise you have, there'll be a punchbowl new sports, a punchbowl news entertainment and culture. <laughs> no, but listen, we <laughs> We don't, we, we are really focused on um, creating more and more offerings for our core audience. We just acquired about, uh, the deal closed about a week or two ago. We acquired a, a data analytics company that focuses on Congress and legislating and the politics of legislating. We are looking at other things in the marketplace. We are looking at adding, creating a platform for people to conduct their business in Washington. Um, and we have the Daily Punch podcast, which is daily five days a week um, that comes out around 6 a.m., 5.30 a.m. Uh, we have a ton of events. So like my view of the world is really confined to this audience of, you can make up a number, but hundreds of thousands of people who need to understand what's happening in the Capitol every single day, not only because they care about it for um Enter, you know, quote unquote, entertainment purposes or interest purposes. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, or they, they focus on it for business. But I will say this, like we do not, our goal from when we started this business is like, we are not going to run around and chase Marjorie Taylor Greene every day and see what crazy stuff she says. We're not interested in that. We don't do it. We write about things that have an impact on policy, policy making, lawmaking, and things like that. We are not focused on on the um, politics as entertainment focus. That's just not, we don't see much win there for us. There is a great deal of entertainment. In Congress. There is. <laughs> but, and plenty of people do that well. We're just not one of them. Talk to me about this business model now, because I have a lot of yep. colleagues, particularly Black folk in media, who are struggling to break out. But when I look at Punchbowl, when I look at Puck, when I look at Axios, you guys have discovered something and how to monetize and not just monetize it, but um, meet readers where they are. This is a new frontier. And how did that come about? Talk about monetizing journalism beyond the nuance yeah. covering Congress. Yeah, so there's, our theory is, there's a lot to unpack there. So our theory is, um, I'll give the broad monetization overview. So we have a, a 15 newsletters a week, which are all sponsored. So sponsors want to reach our audience. So it's Punchbowl News sponsored by this week, it's 
hey, hip, America's health insurance plans. I'm just saying that because that is literally what it is this week. And I can't think of what it was last week. And next week we're off. So we don't have, we take two weeks off a year. Um, they, um, so that that is a, we, one way we make money is through sponsorship of the newsletter, sponsorship of, of events. Um, that's, those are two big revenue streams. We also have subscriptions. Like we believe that people should pay for new, for quality news and people do pay for quality news. And, um, but that puts, I don't want to say pressure, but that, that makes it, it makes it very important that we're delivering what people want on a day-to-day basis, right? We can't be like, you know, slacking off and mailing it in and say, you have to pay $350 a year for a subscription, but we need to make our subscriptions worth it for people who are going to pay that kind of money. And remember, Bakari, like this is a different market than most, than most journalism markets in the sense that like, these are a lot of people who need this for their job. So the price elasticity, how much they're willing to pay and the fact that they're willing to pay is um, unusual in the sense that like, if you're, if you if if you're if the economy goes down and you subscribe to the athletic like you might well i guess not anymore cuz that's new york times but if you subscribe to something that is just pure pleasure like i'm just going to read the athletic cuz i'm really interested in yeah. you know the yankees or whatever like you're going to cut that when things get tough we think that um our subscription model and our audience is um a little a little bit uh insulated from those economic pressures because it's a lot of congressional offices it's a lot of law firms it's a lot of lobbying firms it's a lot of people who need political professionals people in legislative politics who need the information to do their job this episode is brought to you by thomas's thomas's presents pondering the bagel with tom Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's huzzah, a toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. So let, let's actually delve into it just a little bit. Let's talk about Congress for a bit. Yeah, I can't put my finger on what this current Congress has accomplished. And I say that as somebody who talks about the news on a daily basis. As we wrap up the year, what can you say this year's signature accomplishments are for this Congress? Yeah, so a few things. The signature accomplishments are actually what got Kevin McCarthy booted from the job, among other things. I'm oversimplifying. But two big things, I would say. Number one, the uh, Fiscal Responsibility Act, which avoided a debt default, which I don't think we should spend a lot of time praising Congress for avoiding a debt default, but it did include priorities that the Biden administration and Kevin McCarthy wanted at the time. And by the way, Hakeem Jeffries, Chuck Schumer, and Mitch McConnell. So this was not a, this was a bipartisan compromise that raised the debt ceiling, cut spending to a certain degree, and avoided a huge disastrous default. So that's number one. Number two, the thing that really got Kevin McCarthy kicked out is he avoided a government shutdown. Um, now, that is a, not a huge accomplishment. Um, 
but it is something that that was a, a momentous decision that McCarthy made and ended his congressional career. Now, if you look at where we are right now, um, like currently in December, and this will be the same in January and perhaps in February, Congress is struggling around a few things, aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, aid to Taiwan, and now border security. And um, I don't think that there's going to, I think at some point there is going to be, I don't know, I think it's plausible to make the argument that at some point there's going to be a border security foreign aid package. I don't think it's going to be in December. I think it'll be in January. Uh, or February, but I, I'll just say one thing here. Um, I think people, the general conversation around politics is missing how big of a mess we're getting into in January. I mean, government funding runs out, Ukraine border. And by the way, you know, it's interesting to see Democrats have woken up to the fact that the border is an absolute mess. And, right. and by the way, it's both parties' faults. Like this is a something that both parties own in some way, shape, or form. And remember, there's not been legitimate border security immigration policy passed since the '80s. It changed immigration law since Reagan. Um, you could argue that Trump did some things. He did do some things on the border that were helpful. Other things were extremely damaging. Um, but um, what we're looking at next year is just a, a monumental legislative pileup. But listen. I think in the first session of this Congress, I saw an analysis yesterday, 22 bills were signed into law, which is, I believe, 50 fewer than the le- the next least productive year. Oh, this has been a historically, uh, probably you could say unproductive uh, and, and feudal Congress. So I want to I want to parallel that against the previous Congress that we had yep. because that previous yep. Congress. I was led by Nancy Pelosi, of course, who will probably go down as the greatest speaker in the history of the United States Congress. I'll let you argue that in her legacy. But you had an infrastructure bill, climate and healthcare legislation through the Inflation Reduction Act, mental uh, health investments um, through the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, CHIPS and Science Act. Um, you had all of these things, but yet most people in this country cannot tell you three things that Congress done has done. Where's the disconnect? And it, is that just innate to Congress or is there something that administration can do to help fix that and solve for that issue? Yeah. So there's a few things there. Number one, I would agree that whether you like Pelosi or you hate her, you'd be intellectually dishonest in saying that she's not incredibly effective. (laughs) Uh, Even her enemies. I've had conversations with very conservative Republicans who are tethered to reality, who are, do not like Pelosi's policies, but understand that she when she says she's going to do something, she's able to do it. Uh, so she's probably will go down as one of the most, if not the most effective speaker in our history. Co- the last Congress was a special brew of a lot of different dynamics. Number one, people were, even Republicans were turned off by the Trump years and wanted to do things. Um, uh, and there were a lot of bipartisan votes uh, on big items, chips, infrastructure, gun bill. I mean, this was a very, very productive Congress. Uh, one of the most productive, the most, probably one of the most productive I've seen and one of the most productive probably in, in, uh, contemporary American history. So that's that. Um, what should the administration do? It's difficult because a lot of these things, Bakari, are long term investments right. that Congress made in the future of the country. Like you're not going to see a meet probably you will not see immediate impact from creating chip fabs all over the country. It's, these are just these are just things that you build and then 
economies grow around them if done right. And you see the impact over over decades, over a generation. Um, bridges get fixed and people forget that they were pissed off that the <laughs> last bridge sucked. And, and you don't kind of tie that to, by the way, remember, Obama had some of the same dynamics in 2012 where he was, he had a difficult time or that administration had a difficult time. And by the way, Barack Obama, probably the most talented president of our lifetime politically, uh, had a very difficult time connecting what he had done, saving the auto industry, uh, uh, rescuing Wall Street, killing Osama bin Laden. I mean, these are big things that he did, had had difficult time connecting that to how it should matter to everyday Americans. And what could the administration do? I mean, I would be paid a lot more money if I knew that. But um, uh, touting these these significant achievements are important. It's also difficult to do so when inflation, although cooling, has been quite hot. Uh, the economy, listen, markets are on a run right now. Um, people are forgetting that like the economy is in a, although inflation is still a problem, the economy is in a relatively good position right now. Uh, I mean, it is. I want you to help me understand this because I, I tend to, this is going to sound weird, but I, I tend to fall in the category probably of, of more Hillary Clinton, Lindsey Graham on this particular issue. And you're like, what in the hell are those two individuals? But I don't think, I think it's unfathomable to condition funding for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan to any of these other kind of, I don't want to say esoteric, but ancillary policy points. So help our listeners, and I think there are probably three different buckets. I don't know if you can explain it at one time or three different ways, but help our listeners understand the stalemate around funding for Ukraine, border security, funding for Israel and border security, and funding for Taiwan and border security. Because I actually think that it's in the best interest of the United States of America to fund those things and also work on border security, but not tie them together. The nice thing about owning a media company is I could say, I'm not tethered to the traditional um, uh, uh, strictures, I guess, of not being able to say when I think a leader makes a mistake. I think it was a strategic error for Mike Johnson in his first week of the speakership to not pass a clean Israel funding bill. It would have been an early victory for him. No one was clamoring to offset this aid. And when I say no one in a 435 person body, uh, you're talking about a handful of people, five people, 10 people, maybe. Yeah, yeah. maybe. 10, Demo- 10 Democrats and like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, I get I'm you. not even sure 10 Democrats would want, a, <laughs> would want a condition, by the way. And the original condition of Israel aid was not the border. It was IRS cuts, which would have never gone anywhere anyway. So. Um, Listen, to be fair to Republicans, Kevin McCarthy has been saying for months before he got kicked out of the speakership, if we do a Ukraine, another Ukraine package, we are going to have to tie it to border security. The two are not related. And you could argue that it's a stupid, it's a stupid move. But there's two things happening here. There is the fact that a lot of Republicans no longer believe in funding the war in Ukraine. You had more than 100 Republicans uh, in, I think, September, vote against a, a package that was going nowhere to provide money to the Ukrainians. So there is natural tension. The administration, the Biden administration, has not, in, in Republicans telling, has not been um, forthcoming enough with strategy on how to um, uh, win the war in Ukraine. So that's number one. So what ha- this perfect storm kind of happened where Israel aid was held up by this IRS fight, which it was a stupid strategic decision in my estimation. Um, 
And then they, the administration said, well, listen, we need to get Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. We're going to put it into one supplemental, which, by the way, did also include border funding. So the, the Biden administration does have some, I don't want to say blame, but they acknowledge or flick to the fact that there needed to be emergency spending on the border as well. Now, um, you could look at this two ways. You could say, well, listen, the administration was, Kevin McCarthy said it needed to be tied to border funding, and the administration should have been more forthcoming and earlier to the game at acknowledging that political reality and either tearing it down or playing in that field. They didn't do that. So uh, here we are at the end of the year trying to get this done. And by the way, I'm not convinced. Um, I'm not totally convinced there's another Ukraine package. I think it's a more likely than not that there will be at some point, but it's going to be really difficult. And by the way, a lot of people are focused right now on these negotiations between Chris Murphy of Connecticut, Democratic Connecticut, James Lankford, Republican of Oklahoma and the White House and uh, Alejandro Mayorkas over this Ukraine aid package. But whatever they negotiate in the Senate is going to be a very high hill to climb in the House of Representatives, which is going to be Johnson has to worry about his own political standing and the um, and the right is going to not like whatever they come up with. I was under the impression that the first week in January, you'll get that Ukraine package and Israel package. Well, there. First of all, the Congress doesn't come back until the eighth, so the second. Well, week. the second week in January. Yeah. yeah so, the, 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 in an ideal world, yes, but they need to have a deal, and they need to have legislative text, and they have neither right now. And the the timeline from deal to legislative text is probably a week to ten days, probably maybe something in that realm, and then you have to. This is. The, what we keep hearing up here in the Capitol, uh, me and my colleagues, is that this is the one this is one of the areas of the law where how it's written is incredibly important because immigration law, if written poorly, can have unintended consequences. So that's kind of the backdrop of why this is such a pitched battle. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with twenty five thousand miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. 
See website for details. So um, another issue that I hear a lot about, it's, it's weird. I, I hear a lot about it because of the work that I do and we do kind of sort of, but I don't think I hear enough about it, if that makes sense. But that's the issue of AI, artificial intelligence. What is yep. Congress thinking of doing about this issue? And will they ultimately pass anything? Or, or is Speaker Johnson going to be smart and punt this to the White House and say this is an administrative regulatory type issue that you guys need to deal with? So before McCarthy got kicked out, he and Chuck Schumer were working, at least talking about AI together. Uh, Schumer has hosted a, a number of forums. McCarthy has as well on the future of AI. I think this is one of those situations that I hear a ton about this too. Um, we were, my partner, Anna, my business partner, Anna Palmer and I were on a trip to uh, the Bay Area a couple months ago. And all we heard about, I mean, it was amazing. It's like, why, like, where is Congress on AI? There's just a ton of fear, as I'm sure you're hearing too, Macari, which is like, they're going to do something stupid. They don't know what they're doing. We need to make sure they don't do harm, before, you know, in trying to do good. Um, Johnson is just not focused on it at all. Um, I've not heard him say AI once that I can remember um, since becoming speaker a couple months ago. Um, the momentum has died on the House side. The Senate side, it's a little bit more uh, vibrant. But listen, I would say that I keep hearing that they that people want the industry wants Congress to be up to date, up to speed and aware of what's happening in this sphere. Um, and will it happen this Congress? I don't know. There's been some proposals out there. There's been principles, but there's not been a big legislative push from Johnson, who, by the way, remember, this is somebody who was a backbench member of Congress who became Speaker of the House, has no idea about the job based on what we could tell, is not up to speed on on a lot of the big issues of the day. So a big legislative undertaking from him would be difficult to see. <laughs> Let's talk about Speaker Johnson just briefly before I get you out of here. Was there any real chance for a moment that you were gonna have a Jim Jordan or you were going to have a Byron Daniels, or Brian? Brian Byron. Donald's, yep. Donald's, damn, I gave him. Two first names and a different last Byron name. Donald's. Yeah. <laughs> um, was it a chance that Speaker McCarthy was going to come back? Talk about the sausage and how you end up yeah. with. Because I, I thought it was going to be the real, the, the, the little guy. Uh, uh, what's his name from North Carolina? Scalise. Oh, oh Patrick McHenry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Patrick McHenry. Uh, what is he, like 5'4"? Talk to me. How, he's he's how like, Patrick yeah, yeah, I'm like 5'6"-ish. He's probably a little bit shorter than me. So, <laughs> I, listen, I don't have the I don't have the height that my father and brother, who are both good basketball players, had. So, uh, I love a good basketball watcher. <laughs> there you go. That. <laughs> so, listen, here's the story. Um, Mike Johnson got here because he has no enemies or had no enemies. Well, I don't know if he still has no enemies. He is somebody who no one had a really strong opinion about either way. Uh, McHenry didn't want it. McCarthy couldn't get that. McCarthy could have got there with Democrats uh, and Democrats were ready to support him, but he didn't want to trade one knife to his throat for another knife to his throat. And, and you know, I'm not sure if he said that publicly, but people around him have said that for the last couple, you know, in that time period. Um you know, I think that there was never really a chance that um, 
Jim Jordan got close. Steve Scalise did not get close. McHenry could have gotten there too with Democratic support, but all the Republicans with Democrat who could have gotten there with Democratic support didn't think it was sustainable. And Johnson, listen, he's a he's an enigma in many ways. He hasn't had a long legislative career. Uh, he got here in you know 2017. He's not been central to any big legislative push ever. Um, he is a um, he is a a religious man who is, um, you know, uh, a Southerner from Louisiana who doesn't have a big, you know, legislative portfolio that he's been involved with. Um, he has been a, a better fundraiser than people expected, but this is not somebody who we have a ton of beyond what we've seen since he's become speaker. Like no one can really tell you that they were confident in what he would do as speaker. Like, like we could with Paul Ryan or Kevin McCarthy because we had seen them or Nancy Pelosi because we saw her from 2006 to 2011. Um, we we don't have a great sense of how he'll handle cer- certain situations because he's not he's not been there before. So that's the basic gist of Mike Johnson. Uh, he's a work in progress, and that that we'll see how, you know how he handles the first four months of 2024 will be, be a a go a long way in developing in coloring and shaping his legacy. Yeah. I think he'll be a relatively short lived speaker, but that's just my opinion because my last question for you is, you know, let's say, I mean, going to your, your, your just last train of thought, let's say Democrats flip the house. What should we expect from uh, speaker Akeem Jeffries? I think Akeem Jeffries is an incredibly talented politician who, by the way, we do, have a lot of information about because he's been in the in and around the leadership for a while. It's funny, you know. I was just talking to somebody a couple of days ago about this. Like we thought he was green um, because he was, you know, he's re- he's relatively new to the leadership and to Congress, broadly speaking, compared to Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and your own state's Jim Clyburn. But um, Hakeem Jeffries is now looks seasoned compared to Mike Johnson. So what do we see from him? Listen, a few issues of current import. Number one, he's been a very strong supporter of Israel. Number two, he has been um, not afraid, unafraid to beat back on the far left wing of the Democratic Party and basically say, we're not in this for for entertainment or um, uh, show business purposes. We're here to make legislation and and do things. He's been a pretty good fundraiser. He is... um, a strong defender of the president, and he will be a strong opponent of Donald Trump, that's for sure. Um, and it'll be interesting if Donald Trump is elected, he will have had the first female speaker. Uh, if Democrats win the majority uh, in 2024, Donald Trump is elected. His first term will have been with the first female speaker, at least in, in part. And his the first two years of his next term will be with the first black speaker, which is just fascinating. Uh, oh, it's a fascinating part. dynamic. Uh, and I'll tell you this, I mean, Jeffries is very widely respected. Democrats, there is no opposition to Hakeem Jeffries that, that I've ever seen. Um, he's very strong, very smart. Um, and whether you like his policies or not is up to personal preference. But he's he's ready for the job in a way that I think uh, Mike Johnson has not proven that he is quite yet. There we go. Jake Sherman, thank you for joining the show. Please tell people how they can follow you, how they can subscribe to your amazing, amazing new news source. Well, not yes, new, punch three years old, but not new, three years old in January. It's doing the uh, largest scheme of yes, traditional media. That's so. true. That yeah. is true. Punchbowl.news. Uh, you could sign up there. You can subscribe. AM edition is free. Uh, 
afternoon, evening are part of a larger subscription package. We have a uh, the Daily Punch podcast sign up. It is uh, people love it. And I, you know, if I were listening to me in the shower, I would be like, God, this day is getting off to a bad start. But I hear from more people than not that they're listening to me when they're getting dressed, shaving me and Hannah do it five days a week. So check that out. I'm just at Jake Sherman on Twitter. Punchbowl News is the same across all social media platforms. So Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Bakari. I cannot wait for Punchbowl News Sports, Punchbowl News <laughs> Culture. I'm going to be your, your Taylor Swift uh, correspondent. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll keep you we'll keep you in mind once that happens. Though. All right, thank you, brother. Be safe. Have a great day. Happy thank holidays. you.